Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Serenity Caldwell, and I am joined for the second time by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, we're back. We're back. If uh, if you're listening and you haven't figured out it's a weekly show, it's a weekly show. Congrats. <laughs> now you get another episode. <laughs> yeah, every Wednesday, we're going to keep it half an hour, nice and short. And uh, as always, we have lots of listener questions. And so the first week, I really didn't know what to expect. And we got tons of questions. We have enough questions to do shows for months already. But a single topic really floated to the top for me. Lots of people were asking about iCloud Photo Library. So we thought <laughs> we should just tackle it now, right? Yep. Lots of questions yep. about it. Matthew asked, do photos in iCloud Photo Library get backed up to things like Time Machine and Backblaze? Dave and Ryan asked basically the same question. And and then Jeff asked a kind of a related question. Can iCloud Photos keep a chosen album local? There's an album I'm always using and always has to download for me. So maybe we back up a second. Can you kind of give an overview of what iCloud Photo, Photo Library is and the different modes it has? Yeah, absolutely. So um, for people who don't know, iCloud Photo Library is basically the cloud-based storage option for Apple's Photos Library. Um, so it's designed primarily for your Macs and your iPads and your iPhones. It, does, uh, it can sort of work with your Windows Photos library uh, because there is a uh, web-based version of it. Uh, but unlike uh, unlike something like Dropbox Photos or Google Photos, um, it doesn't really have an app available for Android or, uh, or Windows. So it's a little bit more complicated if you want to use that. Um, but uh, if you are in an Apple ecosystem, uh, iCloud Photo Library uh, basically takes your photos on your Mac or on your iPhone, uh, and it gives you two options. It says, okay, if you decide that you would like to have all of your photos locally downloaded and accessible to you at all times, you want to check our download originals mode. Um, and that's the that's the mode where some people kind of, that's basically, it acts as if you had just synced your photo library with your Mac to your iPhone. And you have all of your photos and they never disappear. Um, they never, you know, they, they never go away uh, to save space. They're just all there. Uh, which if you're on a sm- an iPhone with a not a great storage capacity, that's a little tricky. So there's also this option called optimized storage. Uh, and optimized storage essentially says, well, you have this 17,000 photo library and presumably that is going to take up a ton of space on your iPhone um, or on, say, a, a, a MacBook, uh, <laughs> a manager book, a MacBook, MacBook escape. Um, and we don't necessarily want you to have to have all of your storage taken away. So we're going to intelligently optimize it for you. Um, and in real word, world terms, that essentially means that Apple takes a look at your photo library and they say, okay, well, we'll back up this entire photo library to the cloud um, via your iCloud storage, uh, but we're only going to keep about 10 to 15% of your hard drive capacity in photos in this library. So if you have a 16 gig hard drive, for example, or a 16 gig uh, iPhone, for example, it's only going to keep something like two or three gigabytes total of photos and videos. Uh, and I should notice note that, yes, even though it's called iCloud Photo Library, it does back up videos and it does back up GIFs and raw photos as well. 
Uh, so you can have kind of a variety of things, which of course can add up in storage. So optimized storage really designed for iPhones and for secondary computers. It's not really designed for your primary storage solution, which I've, I've had to caution people over several years. It's like, don't, you know, just, just because there's the option to store all of your photos in the cloud doesn't mean you don't want to have them all stored locally somewhere. Right, right Stephen? Yeah, I, I think it's best to use sort of mix and match. So the way I do it, and to, to get to these questions, my 5K iMac I have set to downloaded originals. It has a huge SSD in it. I can have all my photos locally. With downloaded originals checked, I have a copy of every photo and every video in my library on my device. And that means I can back it up to Time Machine and Backblaze and whatever else I want to use. On my MacBook Pro, for instance, has a much smaller SSD, much smaller. And I don't want to fill that up with my photo library. So on that computer, I have optimized storage set. Now that means that the Time Machine backup for my MacBook Pro does not include my entire photo library. It'll grab whatever photos has cached, right? That, you know, that small percentage of of images, but that percentage can always change and it's not a copy of my library. So if I needed to restore from a backup, I would need to go to the backup to the iMac because it has that download originals check. So you're going to have to wrap your head around those two different modes. If you have download originals selected, it means stuff's all backed up on the Mac. On iOS, you can do either one. So on my iPad, I have download originals because I bought like a 256 gig iPad and (laughs) I don't put many movies and TV shows on it. So I like having all the photos there. But on my iPhone, like everyone else, I have optimized storage. And you know, in use, there's not a huge difference, right? You go and you see your list of thumbnails in the optimized storage mode. And if you tap on one, you'll see a little spinner as it downloads the full resolution image. That doesn't mean you have to be on the internet. But even if you're not, if you're on an airplane, you want to look at pictures, all those thumbnails are on the device at all times. So you can see at least see a, a smaller version of it. And you know, when you you can mix and match this to, to fit your needs, you know, maybe you have a desktop you know, computer like me, but then you also have a notebook and you want it accessible, but you don't want them there. Like you can pick the different modes based on the device you're on. But like you said, it has repercussions, especially in things like backup. Yeah. Um, so backup is the interesting thing, right? I, I feel like the ideal solution for anybody using iCloud photo library um, is to have at least one Mac that you have your entire photo library backed up. On. Um, and then in addition Agreed. to that, yeah, you want something like Backblaze or Crash Plan or even honestly an external SSD or an external hard drive that you keep in a fire safe. Uh, because as much as I love uh, the online backup services like Backblaze um, and Dropbox, they're great um, and they're really useful if you need to grab something and you're away from any of your computers. Uh, at the same time, I really advocate in having local backups because you never you never know, you know, you 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 never want to risk the idea that that your precious memories and your your movies, your photos uh, could be gone in an instant if for whatever reason a service gets destroyed. Um, and iCloud is the same way. Obviously, all of the services that I mentioned are extremely secure. Um, they, you know, they don't have really any, um, any reference of like anybody losing photos or losing data. Um, but that said, 
you never want to risk it because if there is an error or if there is any kind of uh, problem, then you, yeah, you're out. I mean, I, <laughs> I remember in college, I went on this amazing art road trip um, with a friend at the time and we went across the country and we took these amazing photos of ourselves in comedy and tragedy masks. And we were going to do this great, amazing art project. Uh, and then my, I got the dreaded clicking noise on my MacBook pro when I got back from the trip. And because I had not backed those up locally or to the cloud at that point, uh, I lost all those photos. And the only photos that we had left were some that we were basically taking as, uh, as test photos with like a portable, uh, like a throwaway camera. So I have film, I have 24 film shots, which in some ways are, are delightful as, you know, a nice reminder. But of the 600 we took, I only have 24. And that's like my, that's my uh, beware the, <laughs> beware not having copies of your data because it's important. Yeah, it was something like photos. Like you said, you can't, you can't redo that, right? I can't make my kids babies again. Like it, <laughs> no. It's a one shot thing. And yeah, absolutely. So I've got download original on my iMac. Those photos, because they're on my local disk, are on Time Machine. They're on Backblaze. They're on my carbon copy clone or backup, which we spoke about last week. It would take a serious amount of destruction for those photos to, to disappear from the planet. So can't be too careful. Nope, nope. So let's talk about Jeff's question about iCloud Photo Library being able to keep a chosen album, album, album <laughs> locally. Uh, yeah, that doesn't work right now, which makes me very sad. I was under the impression that the favorites album, so you can go and tap the little heart icon and those photos get moved into a special album or added to a special album called favorites. And they're still in your regular albums. You can still get to them any way you want. And I thought that those were like blessed, like Jeff is talking about, where they were always local. And that is not true. I tried it today with my iPhone and it's a bummer. And I think, you know, that, that it's confusing because that favorites album is used a couple of different ways. If you want to sync photos to your Apple Watch, one way you can do it is via the favorites album. And it, it seems like that would be a nice option to add of, hey, you know, I know this is going to take up space, but I really want these, you know, 60 pictures on my phone at all time or whatever it is. And, but right now, that's not how it works. It really favorites is really just a, a shortcut to photos that may be spread out across different albums. Yeah. And that's it's it's funny because when I first started learning about iCloud Photo Library back when it launched a few years back, I, I was under the same impression, Stephen, that, you know, favorites were saved. And the way that it actually works, the optimized storage, like many Apple products, um, is designed to work so that the end user doesn't have to worry about, like, checking a box to sync this and not sync this and make this happen. Um, it does prioritize favorites over other photos, um, but primarily, like, the, the order of operations it will save, one, the most recent photos that you have taken uh, in the last day or two uh, will be stored locally on your device. Two, it will prioritize uh, older photos that you have edited or opened recently, basically re-downloaded from the, from the cloud. And three, it will, it will prioritize favorites. So favorites are in that, like, it will try to save some of your more recent favorites, um, but those are it isn't the top priority for optimized storage. So if it fills up on recent photos, if you took, you know, three thousand recent photos because you were on a trip to say Big Sur or something like that, uh, your favorites album won't get synced. 
And that is very frustrating. I understand where Apple's coming from with this. I really do. I get that they want to, you know, save people from the hassle of managing their files and managing storage because, yeah, that can be a bit of a pain. Uh, but at the same time, with something like photos and something like videos, sometimes it's nice, just nice to be like, yeah, optimize my storage, but also just let me keep this album locally. And you already see them, they do it, um, they do it with the music app, you know, where you can keep specific albums and specific playlists offline. Uh, and with, with watch OS four, you'll be able to do that on the watch as well. Um, and I really like to see them bring that tool over to iCloud photo library, because as you said, it's. You know, you can view thumbnails when you're offline, but there's nothing worse than, you know, trying to find that perfect photo of like, let's say your, you know, your kid as a small child or your dogs when they were puppies uh, and you want to show it to somebody or you want to show like even an older photo, a photo that we didn't take with a 4K iPhone, but maybe with an original iPhone and it's already low resolution. And then the thumbnail makes it almost impossible to see full screen and that like not being able to show that to somebody that that sucks. So Apple, iOS 12, or maybe 11.3. Let's, let's make that happen, eh? Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. If you are like Matthew, Dave, Ryan, or Jeff, and you have questions of us, you can submit them on Twitter. Use the hashtag AskQuery, and we will see it. Uh, you can also follow the show at QuerySHow. So, Jeff, is it a different Jeff? Or same Jeff? Uh, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I have to go look. Let's say different Jeff. Different, different Jeff. Jeff. New Jeff wants to know what our task management solutions look like. Oh, man. Uh, when I saw this question, Stephen, um, I had a, a, a tiny little guilty knot appear in my stomach. Uh -oh. <laughs> uh, because my task management solution is a uh, is special. Uh, but before we uh, embarrass myself on... Uh, on our podcast, I want to hear about your solutions. So I use a program called Todoist, and it has a web app, a iOS application. It has a Mac app that's really just a wrapper around the website, which I'll come back to in a second. So it has I have projects in there. I have, I have lots of repeating tasks. My Basically, my entire work life is just the same task every month over and over, you know, edit this show, publish this show, pay these bills, you know, <laughs> check on the sponsor, right? Just Lots of repeating tasks. And Todoist gives you a lot of flexibility in how you create those repeating tasks. So I have some that repeat, say, every third of the month. So June 3rd, July 3rd, August 3rd. No matter what day of the week that is, I need to do it on the third day of the month. And I can do those. Or I can say, hey, every other Friday or every third Tuesday or every Monday. And so that, that flexibility is really important to me. And it's why I use Todoist. Coupled with uh, Zapier. So Zapier is like uh, Ift, where you can hook together web applications and services to do things. And Zapier has a couple things that I find really valuable. So we're using it for this show to search that hashtag and create a spreadsheet that you and I can see. But I use Zapier to follow, for instance, the RSS feeds of the podcast I host. And when there's a new episode create a new task for me to link to that episode on my blog. And it puts the URL in there and copies some information from the feed into the Todoist notes. So I have all the stuff I need to do to do a little link list. I have things like uh, when the something on my calendar says, you know, uh, say liftoff recording, for instance, because that recording time moves around a little bit. If that appears on my calendar, create a task uh, for the same day and the same time, 
it says edit liftoff. And so I don't have to worry about, oh, we moved it from Tuesday to Monday, but now my task is off. Just anytime I record liftoff, I know I have to edit it. Just make that task for me. And I find that a really valuable service. Todoist Mac app is hot garbage. It, like I said, it's a web site and a wrapper. The wrapper's not that good. It's really frustrating. There have been rumors for a long time that they're going to make a native Mac app. I really hope they do. Todoist, if you're listening, please give me a native Mac app. But, you know, because it's, it's just very webby and out of place and doesn't work offline, uh, which is kind of a bummer. But I'm willing to put up with that because of the automation tools I get. Uh, I also use the built-in reminders app in iOS and macOS for family tasks. So things like our grocery list. We have one of like future house renovations one day. Uh, we have one, you know, that it's sort of ever-changing if we're in the summer or the school year, just like stuff, you know, upcoming kids stuff that we should all be aware of. And so reminders is great if, if for the shared list with my wife. But for me and for my work, it is to-doist all the way down. But now, Serenity... It's time. It's time to, to ease your guilty your guilty mind. <laughs> Forgive me, Internet, for, for I have sinned. Now, I, I will start with the less, uh, the less awful parts of my workflow, uh, which is, like you, I do use reminders for a lot of family stuff. Uh, I, I also have a reminders list of future house projects, uh, and I also have one for, um, for upcoming wedding um, and for, uh, w- when I go on a work trip, for example, um, like when, when we go down to, to San Francisco for WWDC, I have a, uh, reminders list that I use every time that I, you know, pack things or anything like that. So I, I know, okay, I have to bring this for this and I have to bring that for that. Um, and then I also use, I've been using Google Docs and Google Sheets a lot lately for both roller derby stuff and the wedding. Uh, I feel like no one can plan a wedding in the modern era without <laughs> Google Docs and Google Apps these days. Um, and that's been extremely helpful. Uh, I have tried to use Pinterest and I think it's a flaming garbage fire. <laughs> I have like, that is, I have used very many apps um, over the course of my life and very many web interfaces and that is one that just stumps me hmm. in terms of its its organization. I just don't know what it is. Like, I've been able to use it okay, but it always feels like pulling teeth working with it. So if anybody has, like, tips on how to actually make Pinterest not work like a flaming garbage fire, I would love to hear it. Hashtag ask query or maybe answer query. Um, but here's my shameful secret about my work orientation for task management. And that is I don't use tech at all for when I'm managing work tasks. Uh, yeah, I, you know, converse with my coworkers via Slack and iMessage, but primarily I have an old whiteboard. Um, and, uh, in, in my office at home in, in, uh, Rhode Island, my work board is a work board that I've had since college. (laughs) Like it has come with me, uh, because for me, there's something very, tactile about like writing down your task mm-hmm. and saying this needs to get done whereas i can i can make uh, a million reminder lists um or to do lists right i've tried all of those apps and what happens is i end up writing down every single little tiny thing that i want to accomplish and then i immediately forget about it because it's not there in front of me staring me down at all times like that's not a window i can close it is on my wall it is lurking or like glaring at me saying hey did you finish this review yet 
you know, you need to finish for this review. You know, you need to have this conversation with this coworker. Just, you know, go ahead and do it. It's my own little like private little Shia LaBeouf YouTube video. Uh, so I, I use a whiteboard uh, and I really like it. I think I like it more than all of the online apps that I've used. And occasionally I also use post-it notes for those really, really obnoxious tasks uh, that I know I'm going to procrastinate. Sometimes I will, past Ren, will write future Ren notes and put them in obnoxious places, <laughs> like on top of my skate bag, <laughs> where it's like, I'm about to go to practice. And then I pick up my skate bag and there's a post-it note on top of it being like, did you do the laundry? Do you have <laughs> clean skate clothes? <laughs> no, like, foiled again by Past Ren. Past Ren, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm I'm in favor of tangible tasks. I, and also, I feel like it's much more satisfying to rip up a post-it note when you've completed a task or like to erase something off a whiteboard than it is to check a digital box. No, I don't think there's anything to feel bad about like that. Like the the point of task management is to do the work, not to do the system, and uh, like in my, in previous jobs, you know, where I had, you know, direct reports and managing a lot of things, I would sit down in the mornings with my to do application, whatever it was at the time I've bounced around over the years. And I would make a list in a notebook of like, these are the three most important things today. And if these three move forward at work, then the others, you know, can, can wait. And, and you know, that just sat on my desk or, to, you know, it was in my notebook when I went to meetings and it was just a constant reminder of like, these are the three things you need to be working on today or this week or whatever. But yeah, I don't think there's any, any, as long as the work is getting done, like who cares? So, but people like to talk about it. Um, it is fun to talk about. It's a evergreen topic on tech podcast. So now we've done it. We don't ever have to do it again. We've checked it off. Not until next year. There you go. I'll put it as a repeating task and to do us. You could just make a sticky note that falls off once a year, reveals another one behind it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, I'll put it on things that I only check once a year, like Christmas decorations. There you go. Uh, time to put the tree and do this topic again. Dang it. <laughs> no. So that brings us to this week's speed run. All right. So, Stephen Hackett. Mandep, Mandep, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Please tell me if I'm not, because I endeavor to pronounce people's names right. Um, Mandep asks, why can't Apple ship a nice calculator app on the iPad? I have literally no idea, but you should either go by PCalc or CalcBot. It's been built in on the The very first iPhone in 2007, before there were apps, before the App Store, before web apps, calculator was a widget on the first iPhone which makes perfect sense. And it, it makes a lot of sense on the iPad. Uh, but Apple's never shipped one. It's not an iOS 11. They ha- they've never taken the opportunity to do it. But there's lots of good third-party ones. PCalc, CalcBot are pretty good. Solver's good if you want to do kind of other weird things with text. Uh, I use Solver a lot on the Mac. But there's lots of third-party options. But yeah, I don't know what the deal is with Apple. Solver is really cool if you're doing more complex, as you said. Um PCalc is also really neat because a friend of the show, James Thompson, has been making all these cool little custom PCalc icons, Mm -hmm. including things like uh, pride PCalc icons or, you know, uh, brushed steel Mad Max PCalc. So, you know, if you want to add some style to your calculator, that could happen. So this one is for you. Alex asks, what iPad app should I check out if I'm learning to draw? Ooh, Ah, I love this question. Uh, so unfortunately, there are not a ton of apps that will 
teach you to draw on the App Store. Uh, there are a couple Digital Waves Creatives interactive sketchbook is kind of interesting, but I haven't played with it a ton. Um, instead, I would actually recommend checking out some of the many, 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 many great drawing tutorials online, including things like Drawbox uh, or DrawSpace. Um, those are really nice uh, kind of step-by-step programs that can help you tackle all manner of digital drawing topics. Um, and then use a, use an app that you feel comfortable in. Uh, my favorites for kind of just starting out are Paper, which is, of course, by 53, uh, Studio 53, and it's excellent and free, which is really nice. Linea is a paid app, uh, and I prefer it to Paper because I like the tools and I appreciate that there are um, guides and different canvases on it. Um, I loved it so much. I actually did a review video drawn in Linea about how much I liked it. Uh, so I really encourage that if you're starting to, to do more drawing. Um, if you want to do drawing apps while you're looking at the drawing programs that I mentioned above, or even uh, sometimes what I'll do is I'll Google something online. Uh, like if I'm trying to draw hands, um, I will either... Uh, just Google hands and Google image search, and then I'll just open it in split screen uh, mode, split view on the iPad, and I'll draw on the left side because I'm left-handed and I'll have a, a Safari window open on the right-hand side. Um, that's really useful, but you need an app that supports split view, and right now both Paper and, Lin and Linnea do not, or Linnea do not. Uh, so instead, you're going to want to pick up uh, something like uh, Procreate, which is paid, um, or Notes, which is, of course, free and built into the iPad. Um, so that's kind of your your basic level and your premium level option, depending on how much you want to actually dedicate time-wise to drawing. Yeah, the uh, Linea is really nice. I've, I've enjoyed it. I'm not uh, someone who enjoys drawing and not someone who's good at it, but for just like sketching out like ideas and stuff, um, if Notes isn't quite powerful enough... Uh, the Icon Factory really knocked out of the park with that app. They really did. It's awesome. All right. Last question of our speed run. Opals. Oh, man, you, you give me all the really interesting names. Uh, again, if I'm pronouncing this wrong, please tell me. Opals asks, what's the best gaming PC for a Mac user? So you can always boot camp a, a Mac where that means basically you restart it into Windows. But I think what's behind this question is hardware that the, the Mac doesn't always have the best GPU options. That is slowly changing, like the new iMac and you know the iMac Pro down the road. But say that an external GPU exactly. options. Exactly. <laughs> but right now, if if you can't get what you need out of boot camp, uh, I've heard good things about the Corsair One. So I floated this question to some other people uh, who I work with at Relay and some some nerd friends in real life, and the Corsair One seems to sort of check the box of it's it's a powerful Windows PC, but it's sort of takes a console-like approach to things. So it looks really nice. You could put it in your living room. It is quiet. Uh, it's it's well-supported by Corsair. Uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to review on The Verge. Yeah, um, so I chatted with my friends over at VR Heads um, in case you're looking for like a really bare-bones PC for VR and, and basic gaming. 
Um, and they had a couple suggestions, but uh, the cheapest one uh, that will still get you a VR experience and also, you know, regular gaming is the Cyber Power PC Gamer Extreme VR, which has a, an extreme name, but apparently is, is quite uh, quite good for basic VR usage. So if you're looking to maybe not break the bank, although the Corsair one is certainly pretty enough to break the bank, uh, there is your kind of budget option right there. Thank you so much for listening to Query. You can find the show notes this week at relay.fm slash query slash two. You can get in touch with us there, but of course you can ask questions on Twitter. Use the hashtag AskQuery and we will see it. In the meantime, you can find Serenity on Twitter at Saturn and you can find her writing at imore.com. I'm ISMH on Twitter and write 512pixels.net and of course on a bunch of shows here at Relay. But until next time, Ren, say goodbye. Goodbye, all. Adios.